Hi everyone, welcome to the Tech Entrepreneur on a Mission podcast. My name is Ton Dobbe and I'm the founder of Value Inspiration and the author of The Remarkable Effect. I envision a world where every B2B SaaS startup succeeds because they're creating software that customers would miss if they were gone. And here's why. Research consistently shows that 90% of all startups fail, and that's bad. What's worse, however, is that 75% of SaaS scale-ups fail, companies that are supposed to have product market fit. Far too few scale-ups create the traction they aspire for and fail for the wrong reasons. And I believe this should stop, and hence I created my business. And the goal that I have with this podcast is twofold. First, to inspire new forms of value creation by sharing compelling ideas and stories about the potential that we can unlock when technology and people blend in the right way. Secondly, share experiences from tech entrepreneurs like you about what it requires to create a remarkable software business and how to overcome the roadblocks to do so. The guest on my podcast today is Tobias Konitzer, CEO of Occurate. I used to tell my investors, you know, the vision, of course, is making a new way to thinking about efficient spending, the organizing principle of B2C companies. And this new way of efficient spending, you know, we call, folks call, lifetime value. Yeah. Yeah? And if I want to say one more word here, the idea behind lifetime value is, you know, using AI to predict exactly how much profit, not revenue, but profit, every customer will bring to you as a company. Right. And now the big idea here is if I would know that with 100% accuracy, all these other things all of a sudden are very, very easy. This is Tobias. He's an academically trained entrepreneur who has a proven track record in turning research into technology, into products that addresses ubiquitous pain points. He worked for Facebook Research and completed a PhD in computational social science at Stanford University. In 2017, he co-founded PredictWise where he initially acted as a chief scientist and became the CEO in 2020. PredictWise processes a large array of public opinion data collected from 260 million Americans on hundreds of data points. During his tenure at PredictWise, Tobias started to understand the value of this database in conjunction with modern machine learning for consumer-facing companies. Companies have a hard time optimizing over and understanding margins that is crucial for both profitability and accurate financial forecasting. On this premise, Tobias founded Occurate, empowering brands to focus on the right customers by predicting lifetime value, churn, conversion, and growth at the individual level with an unprecedented accuracy. And this inspired me, and hence I invited Tobias to my podcast. We explore what is broken in the ability for many B2C companies to grow profitably. Tobias shared his big lessons learned in starting a revolution and what it took to create solid traction. He also touches upon the importance of investing in getting positioning right. Last but not least, he shares his advice on what it takes to build a SaaS business that cannot be ignored and what mindset and habits to develop to not burn out from the many failures that you have to deal with on your way. By listening to this podcast, you will learn four things. Firstly, how to win more customers by getting on the same wavelength. Secondly, by valuing slowness can be the key to rapid growth. Thirdly, why many SaaS businesses don't have a product market fit issue, but a positioning issue. And fourthly, why you shouldn't found your SaaS business before you deeply understand the real pain point. Well, hi, Tobias. Thank you for making the time available today and yeah, being a guest on my podcast. 
Well, I'm very excited for this town. I also appreciate you pronouncing my name correctly, which in the US I sometimes get that, sometimes don't get. So thank you for that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's why I'm Dutch and you're German. Uh, that's right. <laughs> We've grown up with this. So yeah, it's interesting. Yeah, you live in the US, started a company called Occurate. And recently I saw a funding announcement and looked into what a company does. And yeah, it inspired me what you're doing and the mission that you run, hence reaching out, because the podcast at the end is about the value that we can unlock when technology and people blend in the right way. So I'm all in for helping people create impacts that they couldn't do before rather than automating them out of a job. So that's what the kind of conversation will be typically about, big idea behind your company. Before we start, a little bit about yourself. If you have to describe yourself as an entrepreneur and you use two or three words, what words would that be? I sometimes, I like to say that I am a skeptical entrepreneur or, you know, there's this culture in Silicon Valley where entrepreneurialism is all around you, right? And a lot of people that you talk to have this sort of approach and say, well, you know, I have these huge ideas and, you know, the execution to me, well, we'll figure this out. And it's this, this talk about big ideas. Now, I am all about big ideas, but I think, and I think this will come up during the conversation, I would describe myself as a reluctant entrepreneur. You know, I think I have a couple of behavior traits that probably you find in other entrepreneurs. I would describe myself as obsessed with detail, diligent. I think I'm extremely skeptical and I'm extremely critical. That's where I see myself sort of diverge from the Silicon Valley narrative about what entrepreneurialism is or what entrepreneurs are. Yeah, so I meant to put this in writing, but I would really describe myself as kind of being led to entrepreneurialism by my interest in critiquing the status quo, honing in on the detail versus, you know, starting with a big vision and then sort of forgetting about implementation or forgetting about the way to get there. Yeah. As they say, the ideas are cheap. It's only about executing and making it really happen. I'm just working on finishing a podcast that I did with Arnaud Henneville, who is an entrepreneur from Sweden who wrote this book, How Hard Can It Be? His startup was all about taking Facebook down. He failed. And that's the story around that. And it's exactly the words that he's using as well. It's, yeah, big ideas are great, but then it comes to the minuscule execution and getting it right. And a lot of other things as well. That's another story. So cool. I also, I could... if I may add, you know, one thing, I think one of the attributes that I use to describe myself is slow. And again, that's kind of against the wave of entrepreneurialism here, you know, where I used to work at Facebook and obviously, you know, move fast and break things was kind of the big motto early on, right? And to me, it's the opposite. You know, to me, it's about being diligent, being slow. And again, you know, I, I didn't start by, I went to, uh, I did my PhD in Stanford and you teach some undergraduates there, right? And there is all this talk about, oh, you know, I want to be an entrepreneur. Well, what's a company that you want to found? Oh, I'll, I'll figure this out. But to me, being a founder, that sounds really great. And for my journey, it was really the opposite. Heard that before. It's normally a pretty good standpoint from the start to get it right. <laughs> it's interesting. I mean, I think this is also where a little bit of, yeah, kind of how I feel about Germany comes in as well. It's people that are critical, obsessed with detail, sometimes skeptical indeed. Yeah, you're bringing a good mix there. So, yeah, talking about your company, Occurate, yeah, and the big idea behind this, like, what problem did you see in the market that was screaming for a solution like you are developing? Yeah, I think a lot of B2C and B2C companies face this big problem of how to spend the money that they have right. 
how to spend it right on customers, how to spend it right on product. And I'll give you a more specific example, right? We hear this all the time where people say, you know, I'm at this critical juncture in my journey. And, you know, I really need to make sure that, you know, my most profitable customers convert, my most profitable customers don't churn. And, you know, my most profitable customers actually realize their potential, right? My problem is I just don't know which ones are my most profitable customers. How do I know? Right. And, you know, I guess there's a term for this now that's maybe called RevOps. I'm not sure if I'm a big fan of that, but the pain point is really, you know, for B2C and B2C companies that sometimes worry about margins, how do you spend the money right to increase your profitability? Very wise things, but don't they have things like SAP for that? Yeah, sure. But, you know, at the individual and predictive level, there's certainly nothing there. And, you know, what's so interesting about this is, I think you know this quote by John Wanamaker that is now a long time ago in the marketing quote, right? Half the money I spend on advertising is wasted. The trouble is I don't know which half. And it's not just advertising. And that's where our mission comes in, right? It's customer success. It's nurturing leads. But hey, it's also product built, you know? And this is one thing that I experienced, I think, at Facebook as well. You know, you build all kinds of features and some of them really hit and some of them don't, you know? And you don't know which ones. And the problem behind all of that is that you have limited ideas and limited knowledge about your customer. And it's certainly less true for brands like Facebook. But if you want to put yourself in the shoes of, you know, D2C brand, e-commerce brand, mobile games, you know, the limited knowledge about their customers is really, I think, what's driving this kind of 50% gap, right? And to me, what we're really doing is sort of taking this quote and taking it one step further, where, you know, we're not just helping you spend the right money on the right people when it comes to marketing. We do that for customer success. We do that for product. We do that for retention. And we do that for win back and the like, right? And to summarize this, and this is what I used to tell my investors, you know, the vision, of course, is making a new way to thinking about efficient spending, the organizing principle of B2C companies. And this new way of efficient spending, you know, we call, folks call lifetime value. Yeah. yeah. And if I want to say one more word here, the idea behind lifetime value is, you know, using AI to predict exactly how much profit, not revenue, but profit every customer will bring to you as a company. Right. And now the big idea here is if I would know that with 100% accuracy, all these other things all of a sudden are very, very easy. Spending the right money on the right customer, duh, right? If I know how much profit every customer brings, that's easy product built, well, I understand, you know, who are my high value customers, so I can tailor the product towards these, right? And this idea of an organizing principle is really what I became obsessed about. You know, I think our customers probably see it a little bit differently. They don't see it in terms as an organizing principle, but they see it as this kind of simple pain point. I don't know what money to spend on what. Very simple. Yeah. Why wouldn't they see it as an organizing principle? Because I think it's so logical. And it's maybe that we are, we have never been used to it. We're just taking it for granted that we just don't know. <laughs> you know, I think there is a scary value proposition there a little bit, right? You're running your business and, you know, you've been doing it for a while and you struggle with these kind of concrete questions, the ones that we just outlined, you know, yeah. how do I spend money? How do I know what to spend money on? Who to spend money on? And then you have kind of a young Silicon Valley company that comes we make X the organizing principle of your business. 
And I think it's a scary proposition. And I'm sure we'll get into this also on our marketing and positioning side. I'm now convinced that, you know, of course, that's our mission. We want to make LTV the organizing principle of E2C, right? But I'm convinced that the way that we go about this and that we achieve this and also why we're growing so fast is we're not starting there. We're starting with the simple stuff, you know, and we're saying, hey, you know, why don't we pick up on something very concrete? So we want to help you spend money most efficiently. Why don't we say help you reduce churn of your most profitable customers? And this is working. And now our clients come back to us and say, hey, can we do that for customer success? Can we do that for product build? And the answer is, oh, the good news for you, this is also possible with our technology. It enables you to do that across the board. And so, you know, LTV, which is really part of our technology, kind of inadvertently becomes the organizing principle of B2C without me having to put this at the front of the story. Let me make a small interruption here. Tobias just explained with a nice anecdote What's creating the momentum behind this company? Instead of telling a visionary story about the fact that the world is missing a point, he's getting on the same wavelength with customers and meeting them where they are. And this allows him to solve problems that are highly valuable and critical to his ideal customers, deliver quick wins, and with that, grow momentum from the inside to eventually help the customers see what the transformative effect is with their own eyes. And this is a trait remarkable software companies master. They create new value possibilities and hit the right nerve by zooming in on a problem that is highly valuable to solve and with that create desire in the market. You can master these traits as well. Simply go to valueinspiration.com and grab the free Kindle version of my book, The Remarkable Effect. I guarantee you, new inspirations will spark within the next 30 minutes. Back to the interview. In my book, The Remarkable Effect, I've drawn a triangle like, okay, is it are you solving a valuable problem? Is it critical in their agenda? And can you exceed expectations? And what you've done here is, yeah, there's like maybe 20 problems you can solve and you put the number one that is most obvious and most urgent as the one that you go to market with and then the rest will follow from there. Yeah, smart. And it's, I wish a lot of other companies would do the same. So what is the opportunity if we get this right? If the world starts to kind of use this as well, the organizing principle, what is the before and after? And why yeah. should people that don't believe in this pay attention? I think that's a great question. Let me outline the status quo world that we're seeing now, right? Yeah. I think the status quo world that we're seeing now is that you are evaluating various functions of your business on metrics that I would call vanity metrics. And I'll give you a couple of examples, right? On marketing, for example, you say, well, you know, we really don't know much about what kind of profit every customer will bring. So we'll do something like cost per acquisition or cost per click. And that's how we evaluate our marketing efforts. Now you go to product build and you say, ah, I guess we've got to launch a couple of user surveys. And you know, that's how we maybe start to tailor product, right? Now you go to the financial forecasting side of things and you say, okay, well, the CFO is going to write her own model and that has nothing to do with any of the other things, right? And there's two problems here. One problem is that there is a lack of a common denominator. You cannot compare efforts across business functions at all, right? The other problem is that these metrics that are used are really vanity metrics. They don't mean anything. You know, cost per click, I mean, that's a metric from the, you know, that is still used, you know, click-through rates, but it means nothing. And I think our customers understand this. You know, I'm not standing here saying, oh, you know, hey, Bob, why are you running your company like this? It makes no sense. To me, 
The big problem is that companies have no alternatives. And that's exactly where we come in. We bring this common denominator that allows ultimately, and that's the afterworld, right? Delineating the world after what we're doing. We coming in, giving you this common denominator, allowing companies to bring in order in their evaluation, making sure that efforts can be compared across business functions through that common denominator, which happens to be LTV. Smart. And I completely agree. There's so many metrics. Everybody's always measuring this and measuring that. And the question at the end is, okay, who cares? Because you end up with this whole thing is, okay, what is the 50% that is valuable? Because you can have a thousand clicks and no meaning at all. You know, it's just people that people download, for example, a white paper doesn't mean they're going to buy from you. And it's, yeah, meaningless at the end. Very good. So you talked about like when they start, what sparked, was there a certain moment where you said, okay, enough is enough, we're going to do this? What sparked the moment to say, we're going to solve it? Yeah, I wish I could tell you that, you know, I was sitting in sort of a room by myself and I've been doing a lot of thinking and then it occurred to me that LTV is the answer to a rampant problem. But that's really not how it went. And I'm skeptical of stories like that because I just don't think that's how reality plays out most of the time. So let me get a little bit into the origin story of how we got there and how we decided to to found or I decided to found the company. Before founding Accurate, I founded a company called PredictWise that is really active in progressive targeting. I think it's one of the premier targeting engines behind democratic campaigns, progressive causes. But to me, I started that company in 2017. And that was kind of, you know, I wouldn't say call to duty, but something like this. The political situation in the US was what it was. And I saw this as a short-term service to improve the state of democracy, which sounds a little bit cheesy, but that was the motivation behind it, right? Uh But it wasn't a long-term thing. And in fact, this is probably for a different conversation. I've gotten incredibly fatigued about the political discourse in this country, which I think is no surprise. So we were always interested in finding a commercial applicability of the database that we built. Part of the company was building out data on 260 million Americans under lined by a certain philosophy on data. And we had this sales strategy that I think worked quite well, which kind of went something like this. We said, sign a proof. We went to B2C companies and we said, sign a proof of value with us. Or, sorry, what is it called? A POV, you know, a, yeah, small contract. Proof of value. Us. Yeah, you know, for five, $10,000. We don't know what we want to do, but, you know, we have background in data science and we have this unique data. We're working with some of the best folks in AI and ML. You know who we are. So let's do something together. And that worked quite well as a sales strategy. Now, that's not a very scalable effort. But what it allowed us to do, though, is going with the CEOs and CEOs of B2C companies and understanding their pain points, right? And actually, I would recommend this strategy to other founders as well, because it really led to, I think, the right order of things, which is we identified a problem that we then looked into a solution where we had a good head start versus we had a solution and kind of were looking in the marketplace for a problem, right? So one of the very first companies that we did this with, e-commerce company called Isalon, and we started saying, oh, maybe we can build some targeting for you. We can build some audiences for you. This is what we've done in the progressive world. And very quickly in conversations with their then VP growth and their CEO, Tamim Murad, or effective CEO, Tamim Murad, founder, we honed in on this idea of LTV. And these guys essentially told us their pain points. Hey, we need to figure out what to spend on whom. What is an efficient way of spending so that we can maximize our revenue, our profitability? 
And the technology behind that, well, it should be LTV. And then I became obsessed with LTV. And I really Amazing. developed this idea of LTV as an organizing principle, which again is sort of more of a philosophical underpinning, I guess. It's more about what our mission is. But I became obsessed with this idea of LTV being a single metric that can simultaneously solve all these pain points, right? And that's kind of when we decided to found the company. I decided to found the company in late July 2021, and then things went from there. Yeah, it's indeed quite short. July 2021, it's yeah, the moment we have this conversation, one and a half years ago. Wow. So what did you do? I mean, you started the company, then it's okay. You got database, you got data sources. You have to yeah, make a decision on the tech stack. How did you go about building a product that was going to deliver a remarkable results for your customers? Knowing, of course, that there is already so much available yeah, that people don't want to replace. Yeah. So the first question first, you know, building a product, we were in the lucky position that we could incubate this a little bit. So, you know, to your point, we are about half, we're a little older than half a year. We have five ARR customers. We have product to market, right? We were in the lucky position where we could say, once we had this idea around LTV, this is before we, I founded the company and we said, look, why don't we, you know, take that data from Isalon match it to our database that we build at PredictWise. And, you know, let me take two of the data scientists that are really expert in deep machine learning and see what we can build. And it turned out we built this deep machine learning framework that was optimized over LTV prediction accuracy. And we walked that these results that essentially, you know, in a simplified way, proved that LTV predictions could be made with 90% or higher accuracy back to Isalan. And that was it. So these guys said, you know, we're going to become your first ARR client. By the way, you should found the company. And the good news was now we had a product to market because this machine learning framework was built as a scalable piece of software. And we could, you know, go out and hire first full-time sales resource and really sort of bootstrap the beginnings of the company a little bit. And we did that for a while until we raised capital. Yeah, that was, of course, recent. Yeah, and so you got a couple of customers right now on the standardized products. What decisions appear to be really important in the beginning to create something compelling that customers say, that's what we need, that's what we want? I think the big thing was saying we have scalable AI that predicts LTV is really not enough. And this goes back to the question of what are the company pain points? And I'm very skeptical about that. The B2C pain points are not, how can I predict LTV really well? You know, some very sophisticated companies might have that, but it's not a global, universal, ubiquitous pain point. Yeah? The pain point is what I said before, which is how do we spend money efficiently to make sure that we attract, retain, and win back the most profitable customers and maximize our profitability? So the extra mile that we had to figure out is how to make LTV actionable to run campaigns against to achieve that goal exactly. And it's one of the big priorities that my company went through in Q4 because I just didn't believe that an ideological product like that, where you just say, here's a predictive analytics tool, will do anything. You know, it's if we go into the CEO and say, hey, we're going to sell you LTV and, you know, good luck in making that the organizing principle of your company. By the way, I think we can sell like this, okay. But that's not how you start a revolution. And that's back no. to kind of how I see myself as an entrepreneur. You start a revolution somewhere small. You start with a palpable impact and you demonstrate that impact and you demonstrate it over and over again. And then you move to the next field and you do the same thing. It's a bottom-top approach. 
And we had to figure that out in Q4. And I think it's part of the reason that we're growing fast. Fantastic that you say that. Because I mean, it, the essence of this is so true. And so many people get this not right. I wouldn't say they get it wrong because they think they understand the problem and it's not the problem. And you just highlighted that, you know, it's not that the accurate, the prediction, the accurate prediction of an LTV is what keeps them awake at night. It's the fact that they are spending 50% of their money wrong. And of course, then this becomes the way to solve that problem, but it's not the problem in itself. And that's where I see so many SaaS companies yeah, sort of bet on the wrong horse. And I mean, your point about starting a revolution is fascinating because that's what it's really all about. It's, you're touching upon something potentially so much bigger than just this. Was this designed from the beginning to start that revolution in that particular space? I mean, how did you come about naming this the revolution? I think there is maybe, when I characterize myself as a founder, and I think that goes for our company too, you know, that we emphasize and we value slowness. We value tenacity, we value problem solving and dedication to detail, right? I don't think that this is at odds with the concept of revolution. And by the way, I think that's a concept that is also pretty prevalent in the philosophy of science literature, for example, you know, those who had a different opinion than Kuhn and others. But, you know, there is no inherent objection here. And just because we're saying we have this sort of characterization of slow, dedicated to detail and so forth, doesn't mean that it's not a revolution. And I think it also doesn't mean that there is no ambition here. And this is one thing that I want to make really clear. You know, we're not saying we're slow and really want to stay in one field and hopefully not grow too fast. No, no. This is about the method of how we want to grow, right? <laughs> and ultimately, you know, when we started understanding the pain point of B2C, it became pretty clear that what is needed is a revolution. And it became also clear that you know, the folks that said, oh, we can solve this little bit of marketing problem pain point that you have, right? They went into the bucket of 8,600 MarTech tools that are polluting the US market, right? Yeah. So having a cross-functional, cross-department, universal, company-wide, enterprise-wide, at least ambition was crucial to us. And I think that's how you solve the problem here. Yeah. So I would say, you know, with the first deployment and this honing in on LTV, it pretty quickly became tied to this concept of revolution. I can understand that. Ah, oh, it's good. I like that. So what has been the hardest nut to crack for you on this journey so far? The short journey, but definitely a good journey. I think it's positioning. And we talked about this a little bit earlier, but we can't go in and say, we make LTV the organizing principle of your business. We discussed this. We can also not go in and be too narrow. You know, say, oh, we help you do better customer success for Bob and Peter, who are your good customers, right? And we are doing an initiative right now that allows us to reposition a little bit. And so let me give you some numbers that I really like to quote. You know, when we started off the sales machinery, for example, with one full-time sales resource, I really didn't know much about sales, right? And I think it's interesting for entrepreneurs. Entrepreneurs bring usually a pretty concentrated skill set. My background is in data science and machine learning but it's certainly not in sales, right? And that at some point leads to either interesting learnings or potential failures, right? And in the beginning, things were, you know, things were going well, right? I mean, we are on track to signing the sixth ARR customer in like six and a half months of business, of being in business, right? And I looked at the sales metrics in the beginning and I said, oh, these are looking fantastic. And I'll give you some, you know, we're doing cold emails to the target accounts that have a 3% positive reply rate. 
I mean, that's amazing. But then, you know, I thought about this more and more and I said, hey, maybe we're selling so well despite our positioning. And, you know, that became clear when we talked to customers more, when we talked to folks who didn't become our customers. And so that was a big thing that I think we can fix. And that's been an obstacle. And I'm really excited putting resources there and fixing this because my conviction is once we fix this, you know, we will accelerate sales like crazy. And I want to give you one more example on this. You know, I'm not going to name them because they didn't become my customer and I don't have permission for that. But we were on a customer call and we said, oh, you know, we can predict LTV really well. And that was our positioning, you know, and these guys said, yeah, you know, that comes last. Good for you. Exactly. Good for you. That comes last. We want to figure out in the meantime, how do we convert our most profitable customers? How do we know who are most profitable? How do we spend money? What money do we spend on our most profitable customers? Bye-bye. And I was sitting there and thinking, you know, boy, that person just described our technology to us. And the really exciting news here for us, I think, is that we don't have a product market fit issue. We can strengthen our positioning. And I think that's a much better position. The world's best known investor and Wall Street expert, Warren Buffett, once said, Wall Street is the only place that people ride to in a Rolls Royce to get advice from those who take the subway. Mr. Buffett's quote is remarkably accurate, but how many people would rather receive advice from him than someone simply guessing? Welcome to Buy, Hold, Sell, your single source for Wall Street knowledge and profitable guidance. Please join me, Todd Schoenberger, and fellow trader Tobin Smith, as well as host Veronica Dudo, for a podcast known to move the needle for investors. Tobin and I are seasoned Wall Street executives with deep investment experience, and we are prepared to share our advice to those who choose to listen. Download Buy, Hold, Sell today on the Evergreen Podcast Network or your favorite podcast channel. You're preaching to the converted because, I mean, my business is all about yeah, that art of positioning. And of course, product market fit is required in the first place. But then you see that positioning and the right positioning can make that, yeah, that acceleration going. And I completely agree with you also the way you positioned it in the beginning, that the customers are going to just say, okay, it's good for you, but it's not addressing the problem that we have. So getting that right is absolutely critical. And I'm great, glad that you acknowledge that because that's where a lot of value is lost and typically in companies that potentially also can fail because of having this wrong. Let me see. So from selling, yeah, what were the big lessons learned from selling yeah, the first customers that you got right now? You say you're up to six. What was the typical pushback? And how did you overcome that? Yeah, thanks for the question. Hopefully going to be at six at the end of next week, right? We're currently at five. So one of the big pushbacks was this idea of LTV last versus LTV first, right? And again, I think that's related to positioning. The objection being, you know, hey, LTV, we believe you guys are the best in LTV prediction. We believe we really need this, but we need it last. Let us do X, Y, and Z first. And it kind of turned out that X, Y, and Z would have been things that would have been addressable with good LTV prediction, right? So it's really kind of changing this mindset from LTV last to LTV first. And again, the way that we, I think we need to do this is not through doing a year of thought leadership, right? I could go on LinkedIn and I could write every day, which I spend very little time on. I could write every day, you know, LTV should be the new organizing. And here's why. And then hopefully in a year we can sell. But to me, that's a wasted opportunity, right? We not only, we can change minds like this and we don't need to, because again, we start with a palpable outcome and the revolution of LTV becoming the organizing principle of B2C businesses happens inadvertently. It happens through adaptation. It happens through adaptation across business units. And before you know it, it just became this thing without us having to do, you know, the 10 years of preaching to soften the ground for this. Yeah. 
it's about aligning with what people already want and helping them realize that then perception is changed immediately and they'll start to see wait a minute if i can do this then i like they can also do that is that correct unless they start asking these questions back yeah it's fascinating so from those lessons learned and also your whole history yeah being in the entrepreneurial space this is your second company if, if i believe that you found it is that correct second company yeah yeah so I wrote my book, The Remarkable Effect, and that's about the 10 traits that define the companies that we just keep talking about. I'm interested to get your perspective. What do you believe is a core trait that software companies need to grow, need to develop in order to become yeah, a business that their customers just keep talking about? I think one is creating concrete metrics of success. And to me... You know, say, for example, you're a software company that sells a tool to HR that makes scheduling more efficient or something like that, right? That is hard if it is not tied to specific metrics of success. And it could be, you know, something like 10 hours of work saved by individual. And it could be in our case, you know, 15% of gross profit saved or whatever the number may end up being, right? But being tied, I think, to concrete success criteria is key. And the other thing I think is sort of a narrative view of things where, you know, this success criterion is tied to a narrative. I think maybe that is more true for B2C and a little bit less true for B2B, but it is still true for B2B, right? It is this idea of, you know, a marketer sitting there at midnight and not knowing what to do and all of a sudden having technology that allows him or her to respond immediately with a different segmentation, right? But I think we need these stories. And I think these stories are ultimately the stories that are talked about. Yeah, I refer a lot to the book Made to Stick, but that comes with a metric success. So you actually mentioned success. It's simple, it's unexpected, concrete, credible. Emotion is used and story is used. And I, so that the blend of that is really where you can start to measure in a very simple way whether something is going to be remarkable, yes or no, and, and better people and, are going to talk about it. And I think, you know, the human brain works in a narrative frame. It doesn't work, you know, I think success criteria are important because... And that's who we are, right? I think working through narrative frame alone might potentially work better for B2C companies. I think there are some examples there. But our brain does not work around numbers and data. Our sure. brain works around narrative, right? And I think on the B2B side, the thing that will make companies stick is the combination of the two. Sure. Yeah. Now people need facts. That's all need to be true. And that's, to me, it's more or less about, how do you say, the table stakes, then people make decisions with their heart. And that's where story comes in. It's about what people want, what they aspire, what they hope for, the frustrations that you take away. There's so much opportunity there. And doing that the right way creates winners. So what have you been most proud of achieving so far, with the journey that you've been on so far? Definitely the team that we built. I heard it so uh, often. I think, I think this is remarkable. And I'll say two things on that. You know, we just doubled, for example, our ML and engineering team from two to four. You know, we're a growing company, we're a small company. And we probably cannot make the most competitive offers. And that's kind of a function of us being early. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we heard from both hires that you know, both had a lot better offers financially, but it was ultimately the people that are already at the company that persuaded them to join. And I will not take that as a compliment for myself, but I'll pass this on to the founding team and the team that's been there because, you know, working with these folks and I, you know, I've worked at some places. I was at Facebook. I was at Stanford. Working with these folks has been the most amazing thing in my life. Yeah. Again, I think it goes back to 
the big idea that's this founding this, people believing in this and saying, okay, no matter what I'm going to earn with this, I'm going to work for this because I want to make that impact. I want to help with that revolution. Yeah. Two things to add to that, you know, I mean, yeah, we had a product to market when we found it and, you know, I'm proud of that. I'm also not sure how else to do it. You know, I always ask my board, how do you found companies even? I really don't get it anymore. You know, you have to have the money to develop a product, but before you have a product, you can't really raise any money. And I think solving this chicken and egg problem is also something I'm quite proud of. Yeah, completely agree. Yeah, that's where bootstrapping comes in and having your first founding customer that's paying for the work so that funds the journey. Still, going for funding too early is never a good thing at the end. But that's the balance. So from the lessons that you've learned, the tidbits of wisdom that you've gained over time, what would be a do and what would be a don't that you would advise to other yeah, aspiring tech entrepreneurs or tech entrepreneurs that want to use the new year to yeah, make a leap? My biggest advice, and I actually, I will interpret the question and talk a little bit about what I think we've done well and also failures. And there are many in any company, certainly within myself and within our company as well. I think one piece of advice, one thing that has worked really well for us is understand the pain points. You know, don't found a company before you don't know the pain points. Go be an intern somewhere and learn what drives key stakeholders. Why are they sitting at the computer Friday at 5 or 6 p.m. Pacific and are frustrated and develop a solution for that? Do not develop a solution because you went to business school and now you, have, you think you have a good idea what the market looked like and you do it in a vacuum, Right. I think that worked well for us. And that's one of the biggest pieces of advice that I can give. I think ability to deal with failures. We talked about this. Hey, failures come up all the time. Something that I'm not particularly good at, right? And I think to preserve your own mental health and also the endurance of you as a founder and the company, you've got to come up with a coping mechanism that really allows you to put things into perspective, whatever that may be. I'll say one thing, actually. I work half days on Friday. And what I do on Friday to cut down the week is I go on a seven-mile trail run in San Francisco, in an area called Mount San Bruno, and I do it every Friday. And you know, I know a lot of founders think they have no time in a day and they need to work 12 hours a day, but it burns you out. And if you don't find a way to cope and to set these boundaries, then you're going to have a problem in the intermediate term. You know? And tying this back to our, I guess, profile as company and my own profile as a founder you know, yeah, that's where words like slow, sustainability come in. They don't mean that we don't care about growth. They don't mean that we don't want to start a revolution, but it means that we need to take into account how we can be a growing company, not just now, but half a year from now, right? And related to that, maybe even more importantly, hey, celebrate wins. I'm even worse at that. You know, if you close a customer, that's a big deal. In remote working, that's really hard. You want to call up your head of sales and say, you know why? let's go for a drink right? You close a big founding round. It's a big event. Celebrate the wins because the losses will be many. And it's one of the things that is, is on to sort of do better in 2022 alongside with find a source of motivation that is sustainable. Yeah. And I'll say one thing in all honesty, one of the sources of my motivation is anger. You know, it's frustration that customers don't get it. It's frustration that investors don't get it. You know, but I don't think that's a good source of motivation. And I'm reading off to you now on my 2022 personal goals. You know, that's something that needs continuous and constant work, but it's quite important to you as a founder and also to the lasting health of the company. Yeah. It's giving that a place and kind of turning it into, okay, what can I control in order to kind of turn the thing around? I completely, I see where you're going with this and where it's coming from. Wise advice. Thanks for that. 
So if there's anything that the listeners to this or this podcast could do for you, what would be your ask, your big ask? I think, you know, we always like to be connected to folks who have the pain points that we're solving, who feel the pain points, even who validate the pain points. But I think, you know, we validate that now extensively. Our technology, to your earlier point, is really geared towards helping people do their job better. You know, we're not an automation bot that, you know, does X and replaces Y. You know, we are in the business so that the VP marketing and the folks that are actually executing the campaign and the customer success person who is not sure who to reach out to on a Friday night and the financial forecasting folks and the product guys can do a better job, right? That's our mission. And whoever feels that pain point is obviously always a good conversation for us and one that we're happy to take. Well, that leads leave me to my last question. Where can people go to find out more about Occurace or to say hi to you? Sure. I said before that I'm not a big social media guy. I'm not big on LinkedIn or on Twitter. I am, you know, if you want to get in touch with our company, I think the best place to go is Occurate.com. That is O-C-U-R-A-T-E.com. I'm not going to talk about the three months long painful road of finding that name. And then also, if you want to get in touch with me, feel free to drop me an email at toby at Occurate.com. I'm still on emails, but I will get to that eventually. Very good. Well, thank you very much, Tobias, to the openness that you've exposed in this interview. I liked how you started this, the story around the organizing principle of LTV, how you've taken this and approached this as a revolution and start small and grow from there. Thanks also for the advice that you've provided in various places in this interview and good luck in the new year to take the company to where you aspire it to be. Thank you very much, Tom. I enjoyed the conversation as well. And this ends my conversation with Tobias. I hope you enjoyed it. And if so, please leave a review on iTunes. If it inspired you, please share it with other tech entrepreneurs on a mission that you have in your network. Other than that, thank you for tuning into this podcast. I had the honor to speak to Tobias Koninster, CEO of Occurate. As said, the goal that I have in this podcast is twofold. Firstly, to inspire new forms of value creation by sharing compelling ideas and stories about the potential we can unlock when technology and people blend in the right way. And secondly, share experiences from tech entrepreneurs like you about what is required to create a remarkable software business and how to overcome the roadblocks to do so. Before I close, I have two more comments to make. If you know other tech entrepreneurs on a mission that have a story worth sharing, please send me an email at ton.dobby at valueinspiration.com. Building the momentum all starts with revealing the ideas. And that starts with you. And if you want to know more about my book or you're interested in joining the Remarkable Effect tribe, please visit my website at www.valueinspiration.com. Thanks for tuning in. And you could do me a big favor by rating the podcast on iTunes or provide me with your feedback directly. I'll see you shortly on a new episode. You've got questions, we've got answers. Business leadership, ownership, and sales can be challenging. Tune into the Accelerate Your Business Growth podcast to learn from the world's experts. Join me, your host, Diane Helbig, as I chat with people who have expertise in various areas of business. You'll enjoy the lively conversations that are focused on providing you with the ideas, tips, and suggestions 
you need to realize greater success. Get what you need for your business when you need it from the people who have the answers. Accelerate Your Business Growth is part of the Evergreen Podcast Network and is available on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your favorite podcast.